Network. Hi, this is Stephen Turek from the Freebooters Network. Today we bring you another episode of Ego, the 80s geek out. We hope you enjoy the show. of Ego, the 80s Geek Out podcast. My name is Ian Clark, and I'm joined, as always, by the Professor X to my Magneto, Mr. A. Bradford Anderson. Brad, how are you this morning? Good morning, sir. How are you doing? I'm okay. People can probably already tell that my voice is a little off. I am, I am sick, but uh, <laughs> we decided to, we're going we're gonna to press forth and uh, do what our comic book superheroes would do and, and fight on despite not feeling 100%. So. Always and always. Yeah, so apologies for for the uh, the sound of my voice. Who knows? Some people might think it's an improvement. So we'll uh, <laughs> we will go forward. But today we are going to talk about some of our favorite 1980s comic books and the things that we were reading. And we'll also go over some of the significant events, crossovers, uh, other things that came out, new characters, that type of thing that happened in the 1980s. And uh, Brad and I are both comic book guys, so thought this would be a fun one to cover and obviously uh, uh, if you listen to other shows on the Freebooters Network you'll know that I have a comic book podcast as well called Hero Man and Sidekick Boy so plenty more comic book stuff so so if this is the type of episode that you really like and this is right up your alley then definitely check out Hero Man and Sidekick Boy which is myself and uh, Andy Howard so and that comes out monthly but for now we are going to talk 1980s comics, and we're just going to kind of bounce around between some of our uh, favorite titles, and uh, why don't you kick it off, Brad? Unless, I always like to to do any kind of, you know, storytelling or what's going on. Is there any, anything happening with you that um, you want to talk about, or anything going on today? What do you, what do you got going on? Um, we are uh, preparing for rain here, let's just say that, so I'm actually kind of glad that uh, we're doing this early in the morning because I have a few errands to run a little bit before the rain hits, but outside of that, uh, we're dealing with some uh, some sunshine this morning, and I'm pretty happy about that. Yeah, now I know I know you mostly, you know, you do a lot on your bike and everything, but you yeah. do have a car, right? So if, if I do have a car. It, it, it would be funny, I was thinking yesterday, how can I improve my life and downsize and minimize even more, getting rid of a car, and then I'm thinking when we do have our rainstorms here... They're like monsoons and torrential downpours, so it's pretty much you need a car because I'm not going to pedal nine miles to work in the in the downpours. And then I'm thinking, well, you could do Lyft or Uber, and then I'm thinking, well, that's going to cost a lot over, over time. So, yeah, it's good to have a car. It's a necessary evil. Gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> And I mean, is it is it like you hear in like on TV and the movies and stuff? I mean, does it does it rain rarely there, or or yeah, is it more I mean, frequent than people would think? No, it actually here at least in San Diego. I mean, maybe a little bit every six months we get some precip. I mean, the February ish into March is when the kind of the rainy season starts here, which is what we consider spring in New England. Um, and it, it definitely, it's not good here when it rains. I mean, the roadways are terrible. The infrastructure, you know, you will see potholes appear literally after an hour of rain. That's how bad and flat we are here. We're really not weather built to manage any sort of inclement, inclement weather. And by inclement weather, I mean rain. So it's, uh, <laughs> it, it's, it's very unusual. And But fortunately, we have this unique little uh, app uh, that you can do on your phone and on your 
um, computer, it's, uh, I'm not sure if it's more widespread than just here locally in San Diego, it's called the Get It Done app, and you can report everything from potholes to, uh, to uh, issues where uh, transients, for instance, we have a lot of transients here in San Diego, uh, if they're being belligerent or if they have a bike chop shop, that sort of thing. So there's a whole lot of ways you can contact the city. And they're very proactive through the app. So it's, I think it's a good tracking mechanism. And I think they are very receptive to people in the community being kind of the watchdogs for, does this roadway need some patching done? Does, uh, is there some debris on the, on the roadway over here that needs to be cleaned up? They are very quick to respond, which is really good. So at least we have that on our side. Oh, okay. That's kind of yeah. neat. Yeah, I've, I've not heard of anything like that. And I never thought about that, like just the complete all the way down to the approach to putting down roadways would be different out there. But I guess it is because, of course, in New England, we have, uh, you know, we have what are called frost heaves. And, you know, and, and yes. I know people outside of cold climates don't even know what that is. But what will happen is during the winter, the ground will freeze and it will kind of move and and adjust and it'll make bumps or holes in the in the roadways and so sometimes really significant ones uh so uh yeah i never thought about that that it might be we might completely make roads com in a completely different manner engineering wise up here in, right. in New england yeah it's it's fascinating to me that you know a, a major a major global player city in in the global market and they really have poor roadways it's like even the houses here were not really built there are very flat many flat roof houses and that obviously creates all sorts of uh rain issues leaking into houses and so forth over time so it's it's, it's unique the 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 founding fathers and those who developed the area didn't quite think far enough like well the what ifs could happen here like what if it does get and it has snowed here in san diego apparently within the last 10 years so i i haven't seen it in the San Diego proper portion of it, but there have been some days recently where the weather has dropped dramatically, and I'm like, I'm not so sure it's not going to snow. So, <laughs> wow, cool. All right, it is freezing here. It was uh, I got up around seven, and I think it was about two below. I think it's I think it's improved to a robust eight degrees at this point. So, okay, uh, I have yeah. forgotten what that feels like, but <laughs> I, I'm going to take your word for how horrible the memories are. So. <laughs> Yeah, we're in a bit of a deep freeze. It's been a very strange winter here. We've had a decent amount of snow, but then it's warmed up a bunch, and so a bunch, a lot of it melted. And, right. And then we had snow over Thursday and Friday. My kids actually didn't have school Thursday and Friday, but then now that it's super, it, it was kind of that slushy, wet snow, and then now that it's cold, it's all frozen, so it's all, right. our, our driveway's a mess. It's crazy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so, all right, but enough about that. Let's uh, let's do what we're here to do, and that is talk yeah. about comic books. So uh, why don't you start first? What's What was, did you have like a, a major book that was like the thing that you read monthly through the 80s? Yeah, I mean, I it, it's funny to kind of transition into how the comic books really started. I, I think it all really kicked off with me. I had Mego dolls, obviously, well before I was buying comics. So I was actually playing with a bunch of, you know, the dolls, uh, a mixture of like DC and Marvel kind of, you know, meshed together. But I, I would say probably early in the 80s, my first, I was more of a Marvel guy initially. You know, I, the Defenders, I think, the Defenders, you know, and the uh, and the Avengers, I think, were two of my primary series that I follow very closely monthly. Anytime they would have any super, you know, bundle crossover issues, I would make sure to get those. I mean, Mr. Paperback, obviously, in our hometown of Skohegan, that was my main source of 
um, a lot of things reading uh, in the 80s as a kid. And they had a really good comic book selection there. But I would say, yeah, on the Marvel side, you know, it was Def the Defenders, Avengers. Um, I did have, you know, a bit here and there Fantastic Four. I was, I, I, look, I look at it, I wasn't more of an individual comic book solo hero collector. I liked the, the, the groupings, the, the, the teams, basically. And, um, and I think that kind of introduced me, and as most people, more widespread characters. And, and then you can then decide to pursue which characters on the individual basis if they had writers, uh, you know, doing storylines outside of that. So certainly, uh, I think the, the the action teams and the squads basically were really what really enticed me because you get to see so many characters, you know, doing everything from fighting villains to sitting in a uh, meeting room discussing what their plans are going to be. So I think that, you know, and certainly X-Men definitely filtered in there. Like I said, the Fantastic Four. Um, but uh, those were, I think, the primary ones that were the core of my reading, you know, uh, early on. That's interesting to me because I, I'm the opposite. I was never a team book guy. I I liked a lot of the characters that might have been on the Avengers or, or X-Men or whatever, but I, I never actually regularly picked up those books. I, I was a guy that I, I collected. We'll talk about a couple of the things that I collected regularly every month, but... Um, Mr. Paperback, as you as you mentioned, and that's this show is obviously very driven by nostalgia. And for us, you know, where we were, that little you know chain, it was it was a chain, but it was very small. But it was it was right. a mom and pop type of thing. But they had maybe six to eight shops throughout the state of Maine. Exactly. Um, you know, and several the two that were the most frequent probably for you and I, you and Skowhegan, you know, yep. being there. But and so I was kind of in the middle of Skowhegan and Waterville, which both right. had a Mr. Paperback. So those yep. are the two that I would frequent, and I would occasionally get to the one in Augusta. But um, but yeah, they had a, a massive comic book rack, and my both my mom and my stepdad were avid readers. Uh, so we would be in Mr. Paperback, <clears throat> maybe even weekly, and comics at the time being anywhere from 35 cents to 50 cents you know in the in the early 80s uh i would get comic books all the time and i was a guy that would like i there were things that i liked to pick up and there were characters that i liked but i was also very like a, a cover i would see a cover and be like this right. looks cool so i would yeah. pick up x-men occasionally or avengers occasionally but um but i was more of a solo hero guy i was a big uh Spider-Man guy, Marvel Tales, which were the reprints of the early uh, Spider-Man stuff, was right. one that I got a lot. Uh, Batman I got a lot. Um, and then occasionally I'd dabble into, like, uh, I'd pick up a Green Lantern or – I was more of a Marvel guy myself, but I did love Batman. Yeah. would pick up Green Lantern, um, Spider-Man, uh, uh, even odd things out of the um, – kind of a little more outside the mainstream once in a while, like um, – uh, Master of Kung Fu, Shang Chi. Oh my uh, God, dude, we have to touch on that. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll, let me let me just interject. So I I got into Shang Chi. Not exactly sure how that happened. I was actually in a comic book store in London. In my God, I think it was either eighty seven or eighty eight. Actually, it wasn't London. It was in Edinburgh. It was either London or Edinburgh, and it was a very compact comic book store as we all know how they are they're in their sleeves upright and you're gently pawing through and i think part of the reason which kind of inspired me to be into him was was twofold obviously my obsession with bruce lee uh, growing up coming out of the 70s into the 80s being a bruce lee fan 
but also the the G.I. Joe character, Quick Kick, basically. So those two, he was kind of the toy embodiment of Shang-Chi. And I remember I must have purchased, they were dirt cheap at the time, um, you know, because I remember I kept them in the plastic sleeves at, at the time that had like the, you know, 50, 50, 50p or 85p uh, in the labels. But I had bought, I think, 10 to 15. I came home from that trip with more comics than I think I should have. But that I basically had some extra change lying around and just grabbed a ton of Shang-Chi comics, which were, I think were, were just amazing at the time. And I had so much fun reading through those. And I tried to get as many in a series as possible. And I was able to get, oh, one, five, six, seven, eight. So, yeah. That's really cool you, you mentioned him because that's more of a, you know, I wouldn't say obscure hero, but, you know, he was just a master of martial arts. You know, that was kind of his unique skill. It didn't have any sort of psionic abilities, but he went up against a lot of the villainy uh, that and that was embra- embraced by the Marvel universe. Okay, I was, <clears throat> I wondered about that because I, I was just thinking as you were talking, I was wondering if he was kind of, because some comics existed outside of the Marvel superhero world, like G.I. Joe, for example. Yes. Did not, there was no crossover, and I was wondering, because I, I picked up Shang-Chi so sporadically, I don't remember him. But, you know, there are ones that would be obvious for him to interact with, like I'm thinking like Iron Fist would be someone. Yes. Sort of, did, yeah. And, did and you remember I'm him crossing remember. over with him at all? or For the ones that I had, I don't think so. I'm trying to remember the 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 villains that he went up against i don't want to i i want to say it almost might be the hand but which which would be that makes lend, sense. which would lend to you know the iron fist thing so um i think because i actually can see the pages i, I th- those comics are are no longer with me but i do remember him going up against insurmountable odds basically being surrounded by incredibly weaponized ninjas and him taking them all down through, you know, an incredible fight scene. So, yeah, I think the hand would probably be more of a villain for him. Um, I don't want to even say Mandarin, but it's very possible the Mandarin might have, because that would make sense, you know, on the, uh, the uh, um, his far-reaching abilities to kind of uh, control things from afar and then get directly involved, so... Yeah, I'm actually so. Uh, yeah, that that makes sense. That Mandarin. Uh, I'm I'm looking right now to see, because I remember very clearly the cover, yeah. to one of the Shang Chi issues that I own. So I'm trying to see if I can figure out what issue that was just by putting in. There it is. Look at that. You put in a couple. I just for whatever reason I remember the blurb on the front right. saying um, in the house of his father. And that was one that I had. And it's actually issue 124. Nice. Um, it's got a nice, uh, nice cover of him and his red gi, and yeah. he's f- facing off with three uh, bald uh, assailants in like orange outfits, and they've all got bow staffs. And he's actually got a three-section staff, which is kind of cool. nice. So yeah, so I just remember this one very clearly because again, this was one where the cover attracted me. Um, and oh, this can't be right. This, this this says 1974. There's no way this issue was 1974. Um, so maybe oh maybe it's saying Master of Kung Fu. He started in 1974. Started okay, yeah. That's what it is. So it's issue 124. And the thing that I really remember about this issue is he he goes back to uh, Tibet and is in the in the Himalayas yeah. and actually encounters a yeti, which I thought oh, was just. Wow. <laughs> That's yeah, awesome. Yeah, 
I was like, this is so cool. Like, I, cause I, you know, as a kid, I was obsessed with Bigfoot. We need, I think we need to do an episode on that, like the whole 80s, 80s like, crypto, yeah. yeah, UFOs, totally. ghosts, all those. Cause remember, it was so big when we were kids, like all that stuff in search of and everything, even though that was a 70s show, but yeah. In search of and like the, those time life books that you could get on ghosts oh, and UFOs and everything. Absolutely. We'll, we'll have to delve into that. Maybe we'll do that around uh, Halloween. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I loved, you know, Bigfoot, Yetis, stuff like that. So I thought it was so cool that he encounters a, the Yeti actually saves his life in this one. He's he's climbing and slips and the, and the Yeti actually grabs him and, and saves him. Um, so that, that always struck me. But um, yeah, just a. Nice. I, I could see why I wanted to pick up this cover because, uh, you know, again, 80s ninjas, all that stuff. I was yeah. a Lee fan as well. You know, my uh, my stepdad and I would rent all those uh, all the ninja movies and stuff. It's a very striking cover. So, yeah, I can see why it would uh, yeah. attract me. But, it's funny. Uh, and, I'm, and I'm looking at the same thing. And actually, I see a couple of the comics that I had. Um, one of them was the Ages of Death. And they show him doing kind of a very Bruce Lee move, almost kind of like the scene at the end of the Chinese connection where Bruce Lee runs towards the police and they shoot him. He does like a flying kick right into the camera. Right. The, the, right. the one that I'm looking at, he's kicking through some wall of a dojo, perhaps. Um, it's very similar. And I think that's, was the uniqueness of you know my obsession with Kung Fu in general, but Bruce Lee and like a lot of those Kung Fu movies. And I think it was great to have something that you could handhold. It wasn't like a video, like uh, watching some of the old school Kung Fu movies. You're actually able to see a, a unique solo character who basically ends up fighting, you know, different levels of crime. He went through everything. I'm just looking at some of the, the, the tops here, and he, he definitely had a good villainy set. A lot of him, you know, I don't really see too many of him interacting with other heroes. He seemed to be, like you said, a standalone fighter, which I think, you know, um, does bode well to, you know, me having collected some of those, and they had to be kind of unique, and I think I agree completely that the artwork on these covers alone would what probably pulled me in much more quickly than some other covers because they're very action laden. Um, and him, you know, you know, not always in control. He's looks like on a few of these, he's getting his ass completely handed to him <laughs> by, by his assailants, but which is great. Yeah. Um, and I, am always interested in, I mean, we're talking about comic books, so origin stories are obviously big, but I'm always curious about origin stories within our own hobbies and, and nerddom and stuff. So yeah. do you, I'm sure it'll, it'll date back. We'll step a little bit outside the eighties and back to the seventies, but do you, do you remember like any of the first comic books that you had or any of the first ones that you, cause I remember comic owning comics books before I could read. Same here. I, and I had, <laughs> and I had some, you know, odd comic books too i mean there's i had some archie comic books i'm not really sure how i ended up with those but there was a few archie ones um you know and i remember before really being able to fully read you know i i had cousins basically that definitely influenced me um very early on when i was young Pro i would say probably close to the beginning of the 80s i you know uh moon knight for instance you know i was another solo um you know, Moon Knight and Daredevil, they, they had quite a few crossovers in their history, but I, one that I remember, um, whenever we would, my family and I would go on trips, one of the big things would be, if we were flying, obviously, would be going to the bookstore in the airport, and me being, standing in awe of a vastly different selection of comic books, and my folks would always let me get a couple you would spend the entire flight basically analyzing as a child would looking at every photo, trying to make sense of what's happening, trying to, you know, interpret, 
you know, the dialogue between the characters just being blown away. So I think that that's another kind of a fond memory of mine on the comic book collecting side was anytime uh, a, we would fly away from Maine, we would, uh, you know, have spent some time in airports, either with connecting flights or whatnot. But that would be rather than, you know, what people do nowadays buy books, we would be buying the smaller versions of those and just be completely enamored for however long the trip was on the flight, reading through, going back, looking at all the pictures and the advertisements, which were really cool too, because those often had um, advertisements for Mego dolls and action, other little action figures. So Micronauts, I think, were featured in uh, a lot of those. So that a lot of the toy vendors of the time were, were showcased, and I think that also bode well to me expand our horizons. Like, I need to get these and play with these toys. I just don't want to have the books now. I want to have the actual toys as well. So, Yeah, that's and we've kind of delved into a, a little bit of an extra toy <laughs> episode here too, because I, I think it is important to talk about the Migos because they even though they were they were very 70s um, yeah I, I had them through the 80s and, and something very unusual about them and you mentioned it before was the mix of DC and Marvel yeah. characters which which nowadays you would not see one company owning toy rights to to two competing companies like that so yeah, that was always very interesting to me. I didn't, I didn't even think about it at the time, but later on, I was like, yeah, these guys never, we don't ever see them on cartoons together or comic books together. So right. it was interesting that they made them. And and I had some Migos. Um, I, I definitely had Spider-Man, yep. Batman and Robin. Uh, I think I had Captain America. Uh, I had the Hulk, who they made smaller than everybody else for some reason. Yes. It was a it was a mistake, I think. Um, I agree. It's totally yep. <laughs> yeah, but of course he had the and they had the cloth outfits, so he had the purple pants and everything. Right. Uh, but the ones that I played with a ton were also made by Mego. They were called Pocket Superheroes. Do you remember them? They were they were about the same size as like Star Wars and everything. Um, one series of them they had bent knees for some reason, so they were um, and, and then another series had straight legs i had the bent knees one ones but again it was um it was a mix it was dc and and like i had spider-man i had captain america i had batman i remember the batman had like a rubber head and cape uh wonder woman had like a rubber top that you could take off which was very strange um (laughs) yeah but i i still own my spider-man that's actually one of the that's probably the oldest toy i own that has been in my possession since it was purchased and uh yeah i just i i loved those I'm actually um, looking at the pocket superheroes now. I had two of them actually, which I'm surprised I didn't have more. I had the Captain America and the Green Goblin. Yes, I had the Goblin. He came with his glider. He was yes. awesome. Yeah, and actually, you know, I funny. I'm seeing the the the, the kind of the, the the posable ones here. They actually had quite an impressive line of them. I mean, there's a Shazam one. There's Kyle Jor-el. There is Zod and Lex Luthor. I. A friend of mine had Lex Luthor, and I was always jealous that I didn't have Lex Luthor as a villain character to throw in there. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the, those were cool ones. That's and great. then later on, I had um, I only had a few, but I had the uh, and we can talk about the the series itself. But um, mm-hmm. I think it was 1984. Big crossover for Marvel was Secret Wars, yes. and they did an entire toy line on that and they all came with a shield for some reason. And it had that like lenticular technology where when you turned it, it made, you know, made two different, uh, pictures. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, The coolest thing about that, I had, I only had a couple. I had Wolverine who of course is awesome. Um, for some reason I had Magneto, which I, that 
doesn't seem like one I would have purchased, so maybe that was right. like a gift type one. The greatest thing about Wolverine is his claws were they snapped onto the wrist. So I, I would, yes, yeah, I would frequently borrow them for like Storm Shadow, the ninja for GI Joe to use, and as yeah. you would. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that was kind of cool. Um, That's great, yeah. While while we're on the topic, did you read Secret Wars at the time? I did I, not, but I remember I it happening though. I had a, a couple of comic books, and again, what drew me into them, you know, uh, and for another one of my solo superheroes aside, like I mentioned, Moon Knight as being one of them on the Marvel side of things, uh, I did collect quite a bit of Captain America, and there was a couple Secret Wars, obviously, with him very prominently on the cover leading the charge with either heroes chasing him or being following him into battle, basically. So those, um, I had a few of those, actually, you know, those were, you know, interesting storylines that kind of took the universe in quite different directions than what we were normally accustomed to, which is cool. And I know that they've, um, you know, over time have, they have expanded, especially in the graphic comic books, I know they've touched on more... Um, in-depth development of storylines and so forth. But I did have a couple of those in the, in, in the archive. Yeah, and Secret Wars was significant for, I think it's issue nine, uh, the first appearance of Spider-Man's black costume, oh, which okay. uh, obviously would, would become Venom later. Right. Um, yeah, I, I remember Secret Wars happening, but again, I wasn't a team comic guy, and, and something right. like a, a miniseries like that, I think it was 12 issues, Something like that would have been tougher for me to keep up with. There, there were a couple monthly books that I got every month, but it, it, I think, I think the thought of seeing like you know issue one of twelve or whatever I think was maybe a little, a little daunting at the time. So and not knowing, not knowing if you could keep up and not desperately not wanting to miss an issue. That was that that right. would have been that would have been terrible. So, so I didn't read it. I've actually picked it up uh, since as an adult i found all of them except issue nine the one with that that first appearance of uh, spidey's black costume right i find them all in like the dollar bin somewhere at a show so i bought them and then i did get issue nine i actually got a good price on it i i should check and see like i should dig that out and see i still have because i have the whole run i wonder if my issue nine is in good shape because it'd be worth a decent amount now but um yeah so that was not one that i i paid attention to uh the only book that i got religiously throughout the 80s I, I think it started in 82 when the toys came out but uh that was gi joe and yeah. um yeah. so I, I know you're a big gi joe guy where did mm -hmm. you read the comics i actually had quite a few of the gi joe comics and i actually have i think it was a gi joe transformers crossover there was a bunch of weird crossovers there was a shogun warriors crossover and i'm trying to remember if that was who that was with? That, probably Transformers. I, I probably don't remember Transformers, but yeah, I I did have a good number of uh, GI Joe ones uh, that I because they, we were surrounded by it. We were surrounded by the toys, the TV series, which will be another entire event for us down the road. <laughs> right. That, that you know was the visual embodiment of what we were seeing on the pages, which is cool. And then we, obviously with the with the uh, the onslaught of the toys and the constant waves of them, we were just inundated to the best possible way so we were getting our infusions of gi uh, joe from every possible angle but yeah and i you know was always especially stoked when you know to see you know storm shadow and uh and snake eyes either fighting each other on the cover or allied fighting us some faction within the cobra organization or the or the uh the dreadnoughts and so forth so yeah i definitely had a good string of those that i would stay up and current on um throughout the 80s yeah, that was one that I collected every month, and I, I really, I just really enjoyed it. I thought it was, and, and I've said this before, and I've, I've talked about it on, 
you know, the Hero Man and Sidekick Boy podcast, and I've probably even talked about it on Nerd Herders, but um, that comic book was way better than it had any right to be for being based on toys, literally to sell yeah. toys. And Larry Hama, who did most of the writing, he wrote the file cards for the, right. uh, for yep. the toys and did some of the artwork. Larry Hama did an amazing job working with so many characters and having to push them in there to be like, hey, we need to sell this toy. You, right. need, you need to use Snow Job and, this, and the snowmobile here in this one and make it an Arctic adventure. He did an amazing job of giving each of those characters very distinct personalities and coming up with storylines that were compelling and yeah. very good. I have re so so the thing that I did, I don't know if you did this, but when I would get a comic book, uh, I would read it. I would immediately read it again. And then before the next issue came out, I would probably read it another three, four times. I mean, I'm not going to lie. The comic books from my childhood... Uh, were definitely very well used compared to how people treat them today. I mean, we're, as kids, we're not thinking necessarily this is going to have dollar value uh, in the future. Um, my my comics were dog-eared. They were not stored in plastic uh, bags like they are, like you know, true collectors do now. Um, it's funny because you would think I would treat my baseball card collecting like I did my comic books. Not so. Baseball cards were very well protected. Comic books were read through. Uh, they were abused in the best possible fashion because I'm abused in the fact that I'm reading them so regularly that I'm repairing them with uh, tape uh, yep. that I had, you know, I, like, you know, the, the, uh, not masking tape, the, uh, what is it? Uh, scotch the, tape. Like scotch tape stuff, yeah. uh, on a few of them. And I, and I regret, you know, looking back on a few of them, you know, sometimes the entire cover came off and I would try to restaple it. That didn't work. It would just have to be kind of housed and mashed inside <laughs> of the yeah. piles but yeah, I mean, I, I love the imagery. I mean, that's that was the beauty. It's and it's amazing when you look at just how much the art has evolved and the way the illustrations have gone from very, you know, if you look at some of the early X Men, very basic characters. I mean, if you look at early early Iron Man, for instance, very, very basic, and they translated that and that showed up in the in the in the actual first movie Iron Man of his original armor suit, very generic to where they are now, where it's, there's so much articulation. It's almost like you see muscles within the armor. So it's it's cool to see how that, where we started to where they've gone to now, just how detailed and just robust the characters are. But, you know, like I said, I I definitely, my, my comic books were, were well used, well read, and they did not, a lot of them didn't survive. And a couple times I feel bad that I didn't try to get a second copy um, because it was so, you know, not quite ink on the fingers, but, you know, pretty darn close. Yeah, well-loved is what I like to say. They were. Yes. Yeah, I, I still have my G.I. Joe collection, and yeah, same thing. It's a, and I I took care of them to some extent. I didn't uh, I didn't bag and board them. You know, that, right. that didn't start happening until probably the 90s when I was right. in college. But, um, but I would keep them in, like, a shoebox was great for them just yeah. to kind of keep them all together. But they're right. still very, you know, very dog-eared. I don't think any of the covers have come off, but, uh, you know, definitely read and reread many, many times. Yeah. So. No, yeah. I agree. Yep, that's yeah. that's the only way to get it. It's like you 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 are taken and transported into this incredible universe, uh, and it's a sto every storyline. A lot of them, you know, obviously carried on and on, and a lot of times they would v venture off into different areas um, and different storylines and character introductions and conversations. So it it definitely 
kind of broaden your spectrum very quickly, um, and especially with you know the volume of GI Joe characters that there were. I mean, I remember one one of my more favorite ones was when uh, the GI Joes teamed up with um, October Guard, which was yes. the kind of smaller, condensed version of GI Joe. I think there was like maybe only yeah, the six Russians. Members. The Russians, yeah. exactly. This, this is how well I know the G.I. Joe series, and I've reread so many. I can tell you that was issue six and seven. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and another reason I know that is issue six was the first one I picked up, and I was, I was mortified that I did not know G.I. Joe, Joe had a comic book those first five months. Like I, it took me, it took me a long time because it was we didn't have much for comic book shops, and you could, right. like, you had the the ads in the comics for like Mile High Comics and New England Comics where you could send away, but yes. it, it felt like such a strange thing. And I just remember issue one of GI Joe being like, you know, twenty bucks to which to me was astronomical. So right. yes. I I didn't own those first five issues until I was in my twenties and actually was like able to go to comic book shops and, and find those issues. So, but yeah, six and seven October guard, great issues. Cause it was cool. It was like, Oh, here's the Russian version of GI Joe and they have code yeah, names. Yeah. And yep. those were, those were two good stories because they had to team up to survive against Cobra. Right. Yeah. So yeah, and, those were great. And there, and I, and when, G, uh, when Hasbro finally released those toys, I was all over those. I mean, I actually yes. bought, you know, I think it was what Red Star was one of them. Um, yep. Big Bear. There's a bunch of them, um, and you know they had their female. And there was a small squad, and they were some of the coolest looking GI Joe figures because they had amazing weapons. And I, it was just really glad that they took the time to say, "Hey, there, there's interest enough. Let's actually make some toys for this and put them yeah. in the marketplace." And people went crazy. So. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll definitely do an entire episode on the GI Joe toys at some point. But speaking of toys and other things that we've already covered and were big, I was wondering, did you collect many issues of the Star Wars comic book? I only had. It's funny. I had a few of them, and the one that I remember, which is the one that uh, it actually bothers me a little bit, and which is unusual because you know you shouldn't be bothered by comic. The comic basically had Luke Skywalker, as I recall fighting off some type of creatures that were very much the alien from the alien TV series, uh, from the movie series. And, yeah. and I don't remember the specifics. I remember the, what the cover looks like, but I remember him going up against these, these, these creatures that were basically, and I know in X-Men even had that too, to a degree where they were basically being assimilated. And yeah. the brood, <laughs> I think is who that is. Exactly. Yeah. That's the brood. And I think that the one comic that I had, there was either allusions to the brood, but they they you see them floating through space and Luke not fully being able to manage any of the situation, being frustrated even with a lightsaber. So I had a couple of those kicking around. Yeah, Star Wars was one. Obviously, being a big Star Wars fan, I I I would pick up issues from time to time. And again, it was the you know it was whatever was on the cover. And I remember having some early ones when they. Um, you know, finished up, I think, the first six issues. And and speaking of early comics, issue one of Star Wars is the first comic book I remember owning specifically. I I may have had, I probably had ones before then, but actually sure. specifically owning uh, was issue one of Star Wars. And again, probably before I could read, because you're talking 1977, so I was four, not even. Right. Um, so, uh, so I would pick them up, and they, they had to work within a framework because... They knew Lucas. Lucas was working on 
Empire Strikes Back, so they, they were told you cannot have Luke and Vader fight. You know, you can't do much like Luke training, blah, blah, blah. They had all these stipulations they had to work with, so they did something really smart. They said, okay, we have a couple of awesome characters here in Han Solo and Chewbacca who have a cool history. Let's do stuff with them. So they did. So there were a lot of, a lot of those really focused on Han and Chewie adventures, which Adventure. was great for me. Nice. You know, huge Han fan and always have been. So, um, but I also remember some later in, like, um, in between Empire and Jedi, Luke and Lando teaming up to look for Boba Fett. And, and it's interesting because it, it's made pretty clear at the end of Empire, that Boba Fett's taking Han to Jabba on Tatooine. But in the comics, they were sort of like, well, he's got all these stops he's got to make along the way. So right. uh, Luke and Lando were, were like tracking him and trying to find Han. And I remember, I'll see if I can, this one might be a little harder to look up, but let me see if I can find it. I remember specifically a cover that when I saw it, and as a kid, you don't realize, like, that... So let me tell you what the cover was. The cover is yeah. Han, uh, Han in Carbonite, Luke and Lando in front of him, essentially defending him. So I see that on the shelf at Mr. Paperback, and I'm like, right. I have to have this. They've got Han. Right. But as a kid, you don't think they're not going to do this in the comic books. This is going to happen in the movie. This, they're not really going to end up with Han at the end of this. So, right, right. Um, <laughs> let, me, let me see if I can see so you can see that because it's a great cover. Um just trying to do some keywords here to see if it'll come up and then uh that way listeners if you if i can get the number you can uh you guys can look it up too so let me see if i'm hitting all the correct i've got like luke han oh there it is look at that google's an amazing thing issue 71 <laughs> issue 71 it's a phenomenal cover it's uh it's the quest for han solo ends here and it's got Luke. You got Luke looking really cool. They did kind of a neat thing with him in the comics, like from a like how he's dressed. He's in kind of like in all black, but with like like an orangey, like sort of like jacket. Um, and uh, you know, Lando looks awesome. Did you look it up? Did you look for the? Uh, I'm honest on it. Yeah. Yeah, issue seventy one. So yeah, if listeners want to take a look, but it's a, it's a great cover, and and when you see it, you're like, yeah, absolutely, you would have to buy that comic book when you saw it on the shelves. So, um, yeah, I remember ones like that, and there's another one that's got a great painted cover where, and it's a really good story where Han goes back to Tatooine uh, to try and he's got some. He's got some money stored there, uh, like in a the credit union or something like that. Space, <laughs> space bank. Uh, space bank. Space he, goes, he goes back to collect it, and the, it's it's kind of a funny little thing where they won't let him take out his money because they're like, uh, yeah, we have a note that this account is frozen because the account holder is frozen. So he's, <laughs> he's like, no, I'm 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 out of carbonite. I'm fine. So ends up Boba Fett made it out of the Sarlacc pit. But he's got amnesia, and then they end oh, up on a Jawa oh. sandcrawler. It's a really cool story. Absolutely. No, I'm, I'm, that's, I'm thrilled to actually see that they – which is funny. I'm surprised I didn't get into the Star Wars comics more than I should have, being a Star Wars you know, fanatic as a kid. Um, I don't know. I think something about the storylines not – I don't think I was open enough to it. I think I was more – you know, and like you said, when like when we have our leanings to what the ones that we want to read more so, 
you kind of look at the covers and like, oh, that looks cool, but I don't know necessarily know if I want to get into that. Which is, I again, I look back because I'm looking at the cover now for um, you know issue 71. I'm like, how did I not want to get into something like that? Because that was pretty impressive uh, of them defending uh, you know his carbonite, you know his carbonite stature there. Um, yeah, and I, and I, I want to just tie back in for a second. You know how beautiful it is nowadays. How uh, comic book collectors can be so well informed in advance of what's happening with the age of the internet. When we were kids, obviously, you know, uh, and that's and this ties back into you not, you know, being up and current on the GI Joe ones coming in, you know, a little bit late to them. You know, we had no idea necessarily what was coming next. They might give a, like a minor preview, or you could kind of get a sense of at the end of each comic book to find out. You know, if a hero is being defeated or laying unconscious, are they going to pick up on that storyline in the next issue? You're hoping that story will transition correctly, but we honestly didn't know. Nowadays, you know, you know, Marvel, even DC, they give like teasers. You know, the the world stuff launches on YouTube now, so it's the the information transfer to be able to get the word out of what's coming now versus when we had it. You know, we, it was a gamble. We didn't quite know. It was, but it was also the joy I think of walking into places like Mr. Paperback and being just, you know, uh, completely awestruck by what you're seeing. Well, look at that cover. And, and then you're looking at this cover and then you see, you know, the human torch is, you know, not only with the, um, with the Fantastic Four, but he's also over here with the invaders. I'm like, oh my God, it's like, I'm going to have to get a couple of these all at once. And next thing you know, you're walking out with six books. So. Yeah, exactly. And I, I do remember that Marvel, DC probably did as well, but I, again, I was more of a Marvel kid, and, we, you know, G.I. Joe, seeing it over and over, rereading it, Yeah, uh, Marvel would do a checklist inside and kind of show you what was coming out, so, but if you didn't pay attention to that, you, you wouldn't right. know about things, but uh, I will say, their in-comic advertising led me to... Uh, the other book that I collected religiously through the end of the 80s and into the 90s because I saw a single page ad probably in G.I. Joe for a character that I was vaguely aware of but didn't know a ton about but it was the Punisher and oh. it was this big full page ad and it just had him like with a with a gun like held out yep. next to it you know by his by his head and it just said if you're guilty you're dead and I was like, I, I don't know anything about this guy. I need to buy this. And then I, so I, I began That's collecting cool. the, uh, the Punisher series, which I thought was really good and well written. They, they tackled a lot of stuff that um, was pulled from real life stuff. Like he actually infiltrates a sort of Jim Jones like cult, um, and for a couple issues early on. Uh, he takes on like drug dealers, like dealing with in high schools. He he takes right. on, he takes on really kind of a fascinating thing to look on back now middle eastern terrorists attempting to drop a dirty bomb on times square at new right. year's so you know just things that now in the current climate and post 9 11 are are kind of fascinating to look at uh and and see you know um uh, things like that so yeah just a really really well written comic book early on i remember um Klaus Jansen was the artist. I really liked him. Mike Barron worked on it as well. Uh, so just that that was a book that kind of opened up some new doors for me because I had been more of a, a straightforward here, you know, heroes with the exception of G.I. Joe, occasional right. horror comic I would pick up. But um, he was that first real anti-hero that I yeah. was into. Um, 
And I just have to touch on you because you mentioned Moon Knight. Moon Knight's one of my all-time favorite characters, so um, I've always always loved him. But um, yeah, so the the Punisher was just kind of cool and eye-opening to me. Did you did you get into the Punisher at all? Yeah, yeah, I did have a few of him, and I, and I remember seeing the comic books out in the marketplace. Obviously, you know, at some of our locale places. Um, didn't have a ton of him, and it's it's funny because I actually now now appreciate him more and have done more research in modern times over the history of the Punisher. Um, you know, and obviously there's been a handful of movies that, you know, Thomas Jane, Dolph Lundgren, and then we've got uh, the latest one that was on Netflix. So, you know, there, I'm glad to see he's translated well over the years, and I think obviously the, the TV series definitely captured more so of the kind of in alignment of how he handles crime and how he deals with, uh, you know, societal problems. And, I, and it's a nice thing, too, because I think... Early on in the, the comic book series, he was basically, like you said, dealing with societal issues and real-life issues that affect and worry the population. Wasn't always going up against, you know, other heroes, but when he did, was tough as nails. And I think some of the later books, or more modern books at least, you know, have been really... I think there was one where he outlasted everybody. I'm not sure which... which uh, yeah, it's was, but Punisher, he sold, Punisher and kills he, the Marvel <laughs> yes, and then yeah, at some point, I, I'm not sure if it was the exact same line um, where he became, I don't know, Ghost Rider, or th there was a unique yep. where he transferred into that mode and made a pact with the devil and to do bidding. It, it's fascinating the trips that he's been on since his early days. Yeah, and I, uh, I also, I really enjoyed Punisher 2099 as well. They did that series. That might have been early 90s when they did the 2099 books, but that was kind of a neat take because uh, it was set in the year 2099, and they had Spider-Man and Doctor Doom and the X-Men right. and stuff. And I enjoyed those books, but the, the Punisher one was really cool because he was a cop, and he was doing this on the side because the, the police were very corrupt and were pretty much you know paid off government entities at that point. Right. And I just remember... He had a lot of cool gadgets and stuff because it's 2099. But the coolest right. thing he had was this thing that he wore that made – because there's cameras everywhere, facial recognition technology everywhere, Big Brother type stuff. Right. He wore this thing that m made it so the cameras couldn't pick up his face and just showed the skull, the Punisher skull. Oh, nice. Yeah, so it was really cool. I really enjoyed that one. But um, yeah, I liked the Punisher a lot. Um I want to go back and touch on some of the ones that you talked about, like um, uh, X-Men, Defenders, and stuff like yeah. that. Do you, do you have issues that stand out to you or stories that, that you read over and over that were, like, your favorite ones? Yeah, there, there, there are a couple, especially on the, um, you know, on the X-Men ones that I, I loved, you know, the villains, the villainscape that they went up against was, I think, quite vast. I mean, I think and any superhero group had... They're individual villains, like, you know, the Fantastic Four would, would regularly go up against Doctor Doom. But I liked, and, you know, the X-Men, they went up against, um, I'm trying to think, is the Blob was one of them. And they, sure, and, yeah. yeah, so they went up against a lot of mainstream ones, but, the, and, I'm, and, and, and may, you can, you'll probably know the name of the villain, but there was an entire storyline of when the X-Men, a few of them, ended up in the sewers, yeah, the Morlocks. The yes. Morlocks. Oh, thank you. And I just remember that bothering, again, another comic book that bothered me because the characters that they were going up against were these grisly, you know, road warrior-esque, you know, subterranean dwellers. Morlocks, just like, you know, the, uh, um, a, with a time machine. Is that the yep. one? The, yeah. So, and I just remember I one of the leaders of the Morlocks, 
I think it was she she was going up against Storm, Storm. and she, yep. she had the knife on the cover. They're going hand to hand combat, and I just remember how vicious and cruel they were. I mean, I I think in one of the episodes or one of the books rather, they snipped the angel's wings. It was just a very yeah. violent. The, like it was, uh, it was not the typical fighting that you see when you're going, you know, when Thor's hammer hits, you know, uh, yeah, the the Hulk and he gets back. It's like you you you're seeing hand to hand combat. You're seeing a very, you know, kind of underbelly, seedy group of people that have been excommunicated from society, are mutants themselves, and for the most part, but are very vicious and very unusual in their fighting tactics. And they defeated a lot of the X Men. So that whole series, as why. It, it scared me as much as I enjoyed reading it and being like turning each page like what's going to happen next. I just think the 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 Morlocks the the, the grouping of them that was that was written about in the, in that particular series that I was reading, you know, were unique to the sense of that this is kind of unfamiliar character territory. They're not all in superhero outfits. They're, you know, dressed in looking like Road Warrior or the Lost Boys, for instance, you know, leather jackets and ripped clothing and stuff. Um, another one, which was kind of a, almost like a standalone, uh, it was with Scott Summers and I I, I don't want to say, was it, it, it probably was Jean Grey, they're plane crashes. I'm not sure if you remember. They're they're in the ocean somewhere. Plane crashes. They're they have no way to communicate their location to anybody, and then they're hunted by a gigantic octopus. It's very odd. It's you know yeah. it's not typical. And I almost think it was kind of a side storyline. But I just remember him. You know Scott Summers. You know Cyclops had his you know red glasses to protect his eyes. And you know, and he's underwater or gets knocked out of the out of the pontoon plane, um, and is panicking because he, the thing's dragging him down. He's lost his glasses. He's trying to keep his eyes closed because he doesn't want to blow the plane up. And he's getting sucked down. And you know, he's trying to you know. It, it, that's another one. You know, going up against a natural monster of you know. And this thing was a behemoth. I mean, this thing was as big as a kraken and then some, just enveloping them. So yeah, there's a, a couple. Um, of those X Men ones that stick out, um, yeah, I always enjoyed. Uh, you know, I I love the Angel. I mean, the characters themselves. Like, I was obsessed with Cyclops. I mean, I, I love the outfit changes that they went through over the times where the X's were on on the outfits, the X's were on the belts. There was like a half, you know, a half X on, across there. You know, they had the blues and the blacks and the yellows and um, you know, and I, I just. Looking back, you know, I kind of wish I had kind of followed up with them more. You know, I think I stopped after a while because I, you know, was, like I said, devout with the Avengers um, and the Defenders as uh, as uh, primary books. But the X-Men, I had a good run of them in my collection, so. Yeah, X-Men, I've gone back and uh, read some of those key 80 storylines. I've read the Morlocks one where you were talking about yeah. where Storm, Storm actually, I think it's Callisto was the, uh, the leader Callisto, of the Mortal. Yes. Yeah. Uh, where Storm actually defeats her and becomes the leader of the Morlocks. Those were, yeah. I've gone back and read those because that's the great thing about the trade paperbacks is they'll collect those specific storylines. So I've read those now as an adult, and it made me think, man, I was really missing out by not collecting these uh, yeah. in the 80s. But um, some of the two that struck me while you were talking is that, you know, 
you and I were friends in high school and everything, I, I don't think we ever talked comic books. It's almost like <laughs> one of those secret things that I think we maybe kept hidden or whatever. And, and yeah. I, have funny, I have a funny story about that, too. Um, someone that we went to high school with, I won't give his full name, but his name is Chris. He was captain of the football team, quarterback. Okay. You know yep. what I'm talking about. Yep. Huge X-Men and Wolverine fan. I never knew that when I we were well, going yeah. to school. The only the reason I knew was like later, you know, a few years later in college or whatever, there was a small uh, comic book shop that opened up in Skowhegan that was literally on the porch of someone's house. Yes. I'm in there looking at the books and Chris, the, Chris comes in yeah. and I'm like, I didn't know you read comics. And he's like, oh, I didn't know you read comics. So <laughs> he's a huge, huge X-Men and Wolverine fan. So um, it made me wonder too, like, you know, do we have other friends that read comics and we yeah. didn't know because it was one of those geeky things that we kind of kept hidden. So no, that, that's a really good point because I'm, I'm trying to look back now at any of the, my, you know, close friends that I, and I don't recall, I mean, occasionally maybe seeing a couple comic books, but I don't ever remember having elaborate discussions on, did you read this? Right. I don't even remember sharing my comic books either. I, I don't want to say I was territorially protective of them, but... <laughs> But that could have been the case as well. No, I don't want to. It's funny, you know, with baseball cards. Clearly, I was like, dude, yeah, do you have this card? Very yeah, vocal, trading, and, very, and yeah, trading and very communicative. But with comic books, I mean, yeah, that's funny. That was it so underground in ways and kind of secretive for us to kind of keep it under wraps. That yeah. you know, larger discussions were not held uh, as a result of that. Well, and I want I I just remember too going. You'd go to a friend's house and see like a stack of comics on, and be like, oh, okay, cool. And then you could trade there, like. Yeah. Um, my buddy down the road, Scott, like he had, like I'm a huge Conan fan now, but I didn't pick up a ton of Conan like through the 80s. But I remember right. he had some Conan and I would read them when I was at his yeah. house or whatever, and I enjoyed it. But yeah, I just remember that, um, you know, and he had more Spider-Man th than I did. And so, wow. you know, yeah, so, but it, it was, it's weird that it was not. It was something that, whether on purpose or not, we kind of right. kept quiet. It's interesting. And it, and also makes me wonder geographically, based on where we were, would it had would it have, this had would our storylines have been different? Would we've been more you know uh, exclusive chatting about these types of things or sharing books if we were in a larger city? Like for instance, yeah. we we grew up in Central Maine, obviously, uh, and which is about an hour and a half ish, an hour and forty five minutes from Portland. And I wonder, you know, if we were in more, more of a major metropolitan center, would there be more exposure to people who were more talking about books as opposed to being individualized ventures on our own going to get the books themselves? Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Or, or just having access to an actual shop. Yeah. But the cool thing back then, too, was that um, the little, like the little general store in Smithfield, Maine, where I grew up, which is like, I, I think it's a little bigger now, but when I was a kid, there was like 800 people there. But the little, the little corner store had a magazine rack and they had yeah. comics. And I yes. would, I would, you know, my mom would give me 50 cents and I'd go or a buck and I'd go and get like a, like an ice cream cone and, um, you know, and a comic book. Right. And it's just kind of interesting that even a little store in a, in a little town in, in rural Maine would, would have access to comics for me. So that's kind of interesting. And it's funny, yeah, that you say it like that because, you know, looking back now, I'm, I remember a lot of small general stores. You know, uh, we, we, I used to frequent one on the way to my, my parents' camp as a kid up in, in, uh, in Heartland. We would stop in Athens, and the Athens, it was like an Athens general store, had, you know, a really good baseball card selection, but they also had a good comic book display. And it's amazing now because now stores 
you know, not just, you know, multi-bookstores like, like, we, like we have now for comic books where they have specializations. People who, people who run the stores know the comic books. They know what ones to buy. They know ones which are to showcase and how to do it. Back then, like looking at Mr. Paperback, who the hell was buying all the comic books and who knew that this was popular? I mean, clearly they were tracking it somehow through either the scanning system that they had. But you have to know these books in order to, why am I getting X-Men and the Avengers and, you know, the New Mutants? Why, why, who is making the decision to stock those at the store? Because as I recall, it was mostly women running that, running our Mr. Hair back in Waterville. I'm, I may not have this right, but I believe the system in place back then was that anything that wasn't purchased was bought back by the distributor. So oh, okay. So there wasn't as much of a gamble for them sure. to uh, to carry a whole bunch of titles. They could just okay. roll them out there. Anything that didn't sell went back. Right. I, I'm not oh, 100%, nice. but I, I believe that was the process back then. Okay, that's so. that, would make, that would make sense because, like we said earlier, the variety of comic books that they had, I mean, was incredible. I mean, it was just... Yeah, you know, I, and I can see it. I know exactly. If I were to walk back now, you know, almost, you know, forty years later, I could walk right back to the exact spot of where the of where, of where the comic books were on, on the lower shelf. I I know exactly where the kung fu and the uh, karate magazines were. <laughs> yeah. So that whole strip, I spent a good deal of my childhood when my folks were, you know, going. To, I think it was what was it Kmart or Ames? I think it was Ames. Yeah, I would like, I'm going to go to Mr. Paperback for a little bit and then, yeah, and just be sitting, I would sit down and, and it wasn't so strange because I would uh, end up seeing other people who I didn't necessarily know, but were seated, seated themselves sitting on the floor on Mr. Paperback, yeah, yeah. looking at the comic books, making this decision. Is this the one I'm going to buy? Is this <laughs> the one I'm going to actually enjoy taking home with me? So, <laughs> yeah. Um, I wanted to go over uh, a few of the um, kind of key things or storylines or whatever in the 80s i found just a quick and, and this won't be by any means fully comprehensive but yeah. um just some some things that um came out in the 80s that were significant uh uh this one's kind of interesting i've not actually read this uh but i've seen the anime uh but akira came out in 1982 in okay. japan uh by katsuhiro otomo um i've i didn't really know much about Japanese manga as a kid, uh, and I saw Akira probably, it would have been college, so yeah, early 90s, yep. um, but did you did you ever have access or even know much about any Japanese comics? No, um, I'm trying to think, I think I had, I had one, I think was it, it may have been a Chinese comic or a Japanese comic, and now that we're talking about it, I'm trying to remember, because their comic books read differently uh you they go do. back They're... forward as opposed yep. to forward back so that was intriguing to me and i'm trying to remember what went on it, it, now this is going to bother me for the rest of the day because I, <laughs> I i can see some of the imagery but i don't remember what the comic book was but i did have one that i think would fall kind of into the uh the manga world but i don't remember specifically what it was but i definitely didn't have um, little had little to no access or information as a kid, other than if you happen to see a toy in the store to kind of cue you up as in, as in what that might be from. Right. And we did have, we've touched on it a little bit, we did have things that were imported 
like mm. Shogun Warriors, but that was yes. Americanized, and we, we yes. got news stories with them. But um, right. And that kind of leads me into another thing, because something else from 19, uh, 1983 that was very big uh, was American Flag by Howard Shakin, and that was, um, there were a lot of UK comics, Judge Dredd and things like that. I didn't have any access to that. Did you see anything like that, like, um, yeah, like uh, 2000 AD or any of the, any of the British stuff? No, no. Like I said, my only exposure to those was when I was in England and stumbled across that comic book store and I had to shut myself down with just Shang-Chi because, you know, I would have gone completely broke and that was only halfway through the trip. So, yeah, no, I surprisingly, you know, a lot of these comic book introductions and things, stories of, of characters I had didn't really know existed until, you know, thankfully when the 90s happened, we... we you know, more of the graphic novels started to kind of take foothold. You get to see them in like Newbury Comics. You know, when I was finally you know living in Boston, you get exposure to much more vivid, longer books, basically more comprehensive, a lot more pages, much bigger than what we grew up with, um, and introducing us to characters that oh, I had no idea this was an action hero. And and I and I think with the advent of you know a lot of TV networks, you know, taking like Preacher. There are so many ones that I had no idea that had comic book origins. I just wasn't my thing at the time, but I was pleasantly surprised to see these things now translated into the TV world has kind of driven me back to kind of research and get some of the backstories on a lot of these characters I had no idea existed um, back in the day around the, the worlds that we were circulating through. Sure, sure. Uh, 1984, we touched on Secret Wars. Uh, another, another big uh, debut in 1984. Something I was not aware of, even though it was New England-based by New England creators, but Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles debuts in 84. I I did not really... They didn't come on my radar until the cartoon hit, really. Um, but I did, did you see any uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles comics? I, I think I might have a crossover comic somewhere where it has a few of them in it. I did not collect them, and largely like you were, it wasn't until the uh, the animated series that actually kind of that I think that opened the door more so was made it a lot more. Um, I because mean, nowadays there's, a, there's an absolute cult following behind them. You know, I oh sure yeah I enjoyed the movies for what they were back in the day, but I another one of those ones I didn't get into it because it wasn't kind of my style. I think I think best of the best way to describe it. Sure. Uh, 1985, the big thing that year is uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths by DC, where uh, DC essentially took their incredibly muddy continuity. And, and again, DC had a lot to work with. DC dated back, their heroes dated back to 1938, 1939 yeah. with Spider, uh, Superman, Batman. Yep. They had more... They had a, they had another two decades worth of, of continuity that they had right. kind of gone through, and Superman continued to evolve... Because, you know, at, when he started, it was literally like in the song, you know, faster than a speeding bullet, you know, right. able to leap tall buildings, couldn't fly, didn't have super strength, all that type of stuff. But right. they had to keep him being the most powerful character. So when other right. characters came out, they had to keep him, you know, improving him. So he had a pretty muddy backstory. There was Superboy where he was, you know, Superboy in Kansas. And then there was right. another thing where, no, he didn't become Superman until he was an adult. So huge right. mess in DC. Yeah, no. It, it, and that's that's funny that that we're that we're talking about that portion of it, yeah. You know, which leads me just a little bit into my DC world. Wasn't a huge DC comic collector outside, barring my obsession with the Justice League of America, you know, and I and the Justice Society of America. I, those I had definitely. If there's one DC comic that I collected, it was definitely the um, Justice League of America. I think that 
because again, a super group of superheroes, and there's they had some really really good storylines going up against not just individual villains, but going up against large scale villains basically. So, but you know, I completely agree with you that a lot of the storylines wishy washy at best. You know, <laughs> trying to helix and step back on things that you didn't, and it kind of that almost kind of. Uh, lends to how uh, wishy-washy a lot of the movies have been in recent years uh, for DC characters. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that was their attempt to kind of clean things up and uh, and bring right. everything all together. Which was I've gone back and read it. It's it's kind of convoluted and, and long, but it's uh, but it's it's not bad. Uh, 1986, two huge seminal books came out in 1986: uh, Batman: The Dark Knight Returns by Frank Miller. And yep. Watchmen by Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons. Uh, again, did not. These were ones that I had to go back and, and experience later. I these kind of yep. passed me by. I would have been thirteen uh, when yep. these came out, uh, but they passed me by. But I've obviously gone back and not only read them. I've I've read Dark Knight Returns and Watchmen probably easily four or five times each. They are they are absolutely wow. brilliant storytelling, both of them. Um, did. I, were those ones that you caught later, or I, I re- again, d- d- Batman more so, Watchmen not at all. That was yeah. again something later on. I got how did I miss this? And then obviously, you know, became very much uh, interested in the storylines that were being told. Yeah, uh, so that's that's pretty much it for um, like the, some of the. And I know we didn't cover everything, and I'm sure there's listeners that are saying, "Oh, you didn't even talk about this." You know, we can. We can only speak to our own experiences for that, but we would we would love to hear from listeners on the you know on the Facebook page or send us a private message, whatever you want to do on there. Uh, just like stuff that you know meant a lot to you, or or because there's a lot of big stuff that we didn't read. Like we, I would pick up Batman from time to time. I would pick up Spider Man from time to time, and there were huge storylines right. through the '80s uh, for both of those characters. But um, you know, same with Superman. I've never been a big Superman guy. Same so, here. Yeah, we're just kind of speaking to to what we um, were into, and you know that's that's all we can do really. But um, but we would love to hear from from listeners about what uh, what you guys were reading in the '80s or things that you had to go back and discover that maybe you missed out on. And uh, like I was talking about with certain things like X Men and Watchmen and stuff. So, um, well, cool. We uh, I think we we're nearing the end here. But uh, any other um, any other books or or titles or characters that you want to touch on, Brad? The the one that I think that I liked, which was my prize comic book, and I'm and I'm trying to recall exactly how I ended up getting it. You know, I had two. I had an early Invaders comic book, and it's funny because the I was looking at now. It's funny because nowadays the information that, like I said, we have available to us regarding the groupings. Well, I think what what made me most interested in the group sessions of of uh, or or teams rather. Was the how how they rotated characters in and out? I think that to me was just so cool. Um, and thankfully, with the advent of things like Wikipedia nowadays, you can actually see the lineup changes through the years. One of my early comic books that I was just looking at it, um, I had one of the first. Actually, I think I did have the first Defenders. Um, and I think I when I when I, before I moved to California, I sold that to make way. To help pay for part of my trip out here, yeah. it certainly did. That thing was uh, in mint condition. It was boarded and bagged, and you know, and I and and I have a picture of it saved on my phone because I like to look back at it from time to time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Submariner, uh, Doctor oh, Strange, yeah. and the Hulk. Um, I just think what a what an early lineup because you know they eventually later to involve Gargoyle, Valkyrie, the Beast, 
Um, and it was, and I, and I just think, you know, and that, that kind of translated into a lot of how I played with my toys as kids. You know, sometimes the Empire and the and the Rebellion figures would would team up for various things in the exact same way that you know we have uh, legions of the good and the bad in the comic book world. So you're, sometimes they had to join up, like we said sure. earlier about the uh, G.I. Joe and uh, Red um, October Guard, you know, joining forces to defend against Cobra. So I think that the appeal to me of those types of scenarios and, and just to be able to learn each individual characters. And then and oftentimes, you know, you know, I did collect a few Doctor Strange novels. I did collect a lot of Hulk from time to time. There would be, I would binge, um, and I think it's kind of funny because I was never, I was consistent, like I said, with the Avengers and Defenders um, through the 80s, but then those oftentimes would spur me to want to research, and our research was limited back then, sure. uh, <laughs> to looking at other comic books to see who is this character, you know, you know, what is up with Silver Surfer, you know, I, th that was another line of, of ones that I enjoyed because he had a very unique storied line, you know, traveling through the universes on behalf of who, um, and and him teaming up on occasion with Fantastic Four, sometimes going up against them. So, some so it, there was a lot of flip flopping in the comic book world, which I thought was amazing. Um, but you know, I, I would say uh, the Defenders and one of my early Invaders ones was, was pretty cool. Um, I'm just looking at a couple of the, of the of the you know the Human Torch against Submariner. I guess I think I was. I'm secretly obsessing that one day there will be a Submariner, you know, Prince Namor film. Uh, I'm surprised there hasn't been one yet. I'm surprised he hasn't even shown up, really. I think there's rumblings and maybe even teasers already that he's that he's coming. Okay, good because that uh, that that needs to happen because, and I'm just trying to envision who that would be because as a kid, uh, because as a kid you you see Submariner with his pointy ears and you I automatically when I was playing with my Mego dolls. Mr. Spock was as close to uh, <laughs> Prince Namor as I was going to get. So occasionally sure. uh, Spock's clothing would come off. But, you know, he, did, he did have his little underwear area, but you know, yeah, he, was my, he was my Prince Namor back in the day. So That's great. <laughs> That's awesome. It's, you know, it, it's one thing that the team's books did, and, um, and they actually had a comic out called Marvel Team-Up, that I would pick up once in a while, mostly with Spider-Man and somebody, but it, but I would pick that up once in a while. I'd be like, oh yeah, Spider-Man and Moon Knight, absolutely. Yeah. Spider-Man yeah. and Ghost Rider, absolutely. Yeah. So um, sure. those those books like West Coast Avengers and things like that could take yes. these yeah. B and C level guys that yeah. and, and and guys and gals, you know, uh, characters mm -hmm. that couldn't sustain their own monthly book, but were exactly. cool characters. You throw in yeah. Moon Knight, throw in Hawkeye, yeah. throw in Mockingbird, you know, throw yeah. in all these cool characters. War Machine was one that I loved coming out of Iron Man. Yes. They, they couldn't sustain their own book, but right. hey, people like them, throw them together. Yeah. Um, right. And that, and that was kind of like, you know, these, like you said, Easter, almost like Easter egg characters. You only get bits and pieces of them. Um, and they obviously not strong enough to stand on their own, put them in, in tandem or in a team or have them being slightly recurring in storylines. And you get, you kind of get that, that, um, that, uh, indulgence of like, wow, you're actually finally getting more exposure to a character who definitely would not be able to survive by themselves. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Awesome. Uh, all right. I think, I think that's everything I wanted to touch on. What about you? I think we nailed it, and I think this was this was a good one. I enjoyed what I love about doing this podcast with you, man. Is I love the research that goes into involved. You know, I I I go back, I look up things. It spurs memories and and moments in life of when things happen, 
and uh, and you know, I had a ball looking at a lot of these uh, the these book covers over and again, like thinking, I wonder what you know when I sold some of these off or traded them away later in life. I'm like, I wonder where that that comic book is now. Is that in someone's collection being <laughs> valued and prized and protected, or did it go by the wayside like the dinosaur? So yeah, isn't that fa- it's a, it's fascinating to think about that. Yeah, like. Like yeah, there's there's some there's some that I know that that I don't have anymore that are just destroyed. They're gone. They do not yeah. exist anymore. But there are others that I've that I've you know I sold or I traded or I pass on. It's like does does that comic book exist somewhere? Does right. someone have that book? Right. How many people have had that book? You know it's right. Yeah, that stuff that stuff's interesting to think about. And yeah, these are fun too because like you said, we it spurs memories. But also while we're talking, it makes me yeah. think, think of things and all that type of stuff. One thing I will implore you to do, uh, since we've been talking about comics, check out Lock and Key on Netflix. Okay, I just saw that uh, come up. Okay, that's worth it my is, time. Yes, it is a phenomenal comic series written okay. by Joe Hill, Stephen King's son. Okay. Um, and phenomenal concept. I have not started watching the show yet, but if the show is even half as good as the comic, it's going to oh. be amazing. I'll oh, just good. give you a little a little taste, a little teaser yeah. of what it, what it is. Um, you may even want to, you can pick up the, the trade paperbacks. It's it's not that many issues overall uh, if you wanted to check that out before or after, but um, essentially uh, this family, the father is killed in a, um, a home invasion. The The mother and her children go to live in his family's old estate in uh i think it's in massachusetts it may never not even say but it's definitely new england old victorian house full of all these doors and not only doors but other things like a grandfather clock and all these things that have keys and keyholes that go to them each of them have magical properties oh uh it's it's dark uh it's a little disturbing in some areas but it's phenomenal storytelling And um, if, like I said, if the show is half as good as the book is, it's going to be an amazing run. So I'm, I'm really excited to watch it, and I, I think you'll enjoy it. So great, no, definitely, that'll add it to the list. Nice. Awesome. Okay, cool. Well, uh, I think we've come to the end of another episode. We've got uh, a bunch of stuff already in the works that we're looking ahead to do. There'll be something. There's a big milestone coming up in the month of May, so we're gonna we're gonna do another movie uh, viewing in May to uh, to celebrate that uh, fantastic milestone that's coming up. But um, yeah, we're we're good. I'm glad we were able to squeeze this in. I'm sorry I'm not sounding that great. My voice is getting worse as we're going along. But um, I'm going away on vacation in the next couple of weeks, so we wanted to make sure we got a uh, got an episode in for you guys. So um, so thank you for bearing with us with uh, with my voice not being 100%. And uh, thank you, Brad, for uh, another fun show. I had a great time doing this one. Me too, brother. All right. Thank you guys so much for listening. My name is Ian Clark, signing off for A. Bradford Anderson. Until then, have a great month, and I'm going to sign off with the, uh, the words or the, the word of the late, great Stan Lee, Excelsior. to Ego, the 80s Geek Out podcast with Ian Clark and Brad Anderson. We are a part of the Freebooters Network. Check out thefreebootersnetwork.com to listen to all the awesome podcasts on the network. We also invite you to check out our sponsor, Geek Nation Tours, at geeknationtours.com and interact with our Facebook page, ask questions, offer comments, and critiques. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time.